Thank you again, choir, for that beautiful anthem. Draws us into the Lord's presence in um, an amazing way. Appreciate it so much. We're turning once again to Matthew chapter 6 today. We're continuing to look at the prayer that Jesus taught us. And we're focusing today on verses 9 and 10 of Matthew, the 6th chapter. Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus said, Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. By the way, if you're joining us today live stream, I want to say a welcome to you, and we're glad that you're listening with us. And I want to say a word to you all. If you missed something, one of the sermons in the series on prayer, and you want to go back and catch up on it, or if it's just so amazing you want to hear it again, that's always a possibility, you can go to sermon.net. There's a link on our church website, or you can load the app, and that makes it a little bit easier, and you can listen to these. Give them to your friends. Let your friends listen to them. Encourage them to do that. But I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Now, you may or may not know that I grew up in the 70s. And I will say, there were some fun things about growing up in the 70s. Um, we had great music. I'm just going to say, we had great music. And even my kids loved listening to those, those music, uh, those 70s songs. And we had, um, let's say, questionable fashions in the 70s. I can show you some yearbooks. And the only thing I can do is shake my head and, and say, what were we thinking? So it is another thing about the 70s, and I don't know, this is probably not good, but the 70s has been called by some people the me generation. And uh, I don't, it would be hard to argue that the 70s was not the me generation when you look and see some of the advertising that came out of the 70s, right? Uh, I mean, in the 70s, Budweiser came up with this ad line called, This Bud's For You. And it made everybody go, really, for me? Really, just for me? And then Burger King came up with this advertising campaign that said, have it your way. Yeah. And McDonald's, not to be outdone, said, you deserve a break today. And I'm thinking, you have no idea. I do deserve a break today. And then L'Oreal, of course, you can tell by the color of my hair that I don't use L'Oreal products. But if I did, then I would know that I use L'Oreal because I'm worth it, right? Do y'all remember those? Some of you do. Some of you remember those ads. And some of you may also remember that during the 1970s, it was the time when people started giving participation trophies. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I played peewee football badly. I might have, I was a terrible peewee football player. I, I had I had the size, I just didn't have the skill and the understanding and the motivation and everything else you needed to go with it. Peewee football. But at the end of the year we had a peewee football banquet. And guess who got a trophy? I did because I'm special. Well, everybody else got a trophy too, but I know that mine was because I was so special. Participation trophy. I think they were trying to build up our self-esteem. Really, I do. 
But I think it may have backfired because it got us to thinking that it was just all about us. After all, it's just all about us. It was also during the 1970s that I learned about a character in Greek mythology called Narcissus. Up until that point, I thought Narcissus was just my grandmother's middle name. Honest to goodness, my grandmother's name was Lulu Narcissus Coker. I know, right? She was named after the flower, which is a very beautiful flower, by the way. She was not named after the Greek mythological character. The Greek mythological character was a hunter, and he was a very, very good-looking young man. He was so handsome that everybody who saw him fell in love with him. But that was just bothersome to him. He didn't want anything to do with any of those people that fell in love with him because none of them was as beautiful as he was. So he just drove everybody away. He just wanted to be out in the woods hunting. Just out in the woods. One day out in the woods, a forest nymph named Echo saw Narcissus. And she fell in love with him. First sight. And so invisible to everybody else, uh, Echo made herself visible to Narcissus and tried to hug him and he pushed her away and completely rejected her. Go away, I don't want anything to do with you. And Echo was so distraught that for the rest of her life she wandered around the forest lonely, distraught until she finally just faded away and there was nothing left of her but an Echo. Okay, well, um, the um, goddess of revenge, whose name is Nemesis, decided that she didn't like what Narcissus did to Echo, and so she came up with a plan, and she lured Narcissus to this quiet, still pool of clear water, and she lured him over to the edge so that he would look over to the edge of the pool, and Narcissus saw his reflection in the pool and he fell in love with his reflection. And the only thing he wanted to do was to stare at his reflection in that water. Well now I wonder if we have not somehow fallen in love with our own reflection. And I wonder if it's not any more clear than when we look at our prayers. Because if we did an honest inventory of our prayers, we just got a really good accountant and did an audit of our prayers, I'm sure that they would look like this. Me. Me. Mine. Mine. Here, God, here's what I want you to do for me. So maybe that's why it's so important for us to learn how to pray as Jesus taught. And by the way, in order for us to pray as Jesus taught us to pray, it's going to require a change of heart. It just is. And it starts by directing our hearts to God's glory, not our glory. That's what we started talking about last week. Prayer doesn't begin with a me focus. It begins with a God focus. Our Father in heaven... 
would be your name. How would be your name? The attention goes to God the Father. The purpose, the prime purpose, is to hallow, to revere, to glorify God's name or his character, his reputation, his authority, his glory, and not ours. It revolves around God and not us. It requires a change of heart, you see, because we have it the other way around. Do any of y'all know Calvin and Hobbes cartoons? I know my son does. He loves them as much as his dad does. It's Calvin is the mischievous little guy, and Hobbes is this imaginary tiger, and every time he gets into trouble, he blames it on his imaginary tiger, Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes are walking along one day, and Calvin turns to Hobbes, this imaginary tiger, and he says, you know, the whole world has just got it wrong. They all think the world revolves around them when everybody knows it revolves around me. I was at Walmart this week, and uh, I was thinking about this and working on this sermon, and every now and then you see a sermon illustration at Walmart. Who would have thought? So walking across the parking lot, I see a bumper sticker, and it says, We can't all be princesses. Somebody has to wave as I go by. So part of our human nature is to be self-centered. It's part of our fallen human nature. That's why we have to practice making it not be about us. That's why we have to practice and remind ourselves that the world does not revolve around us and that God's glory is the first order of business. Self-centeredness is the enemy of prayer. It's what keeps us from praying. Um, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and he wrote this amazing book called Screwtape Letters. And it's, it's a story about the devil's chief assistant, Screwtape, and his young demon in training named Wormwood. And Screwtape gives advice to his, his young protege about how to interfere in the life of Christians. And here's what he says to him about Prayer. He tells Wormwood that the best way and the simplest way to discourage Christians from praying is to keep them focused on their own mind and their own will and their own feelings. For instance, uh, when they're tempted to pray for courage, instead have them just say, I just need to feel brave. And to remind them over and over that the chief success is producing the feeling that they want, that feeling that I've got this and it's all about me. Prayer, as Jesus taught, starts out by saying, it is in fact all about you, God. So to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us and to pray as Jesus taught us continues with a shift from my kingdom to God's kingdom, a shift from my will be done to thy will be done. We see in verse 10, from my kingdom to thy kingdom. Now, kingdom is not a word unless we're talking about the magic kingdom at Walt Disney World. A kingdom is not a word that we're that familiar with because we don't live in a kingdom, so to speak. But kingdom is important in the Bible. It's so important that the kingdom of God was used over a hundred times by Jesus just in the four gospels. So we need to get a grip on what kingdom means, and at its 
most basic level, it just means the rule and reign of God, a royal dominion. Now, there is a not yet aspect of the kingdom because we know, having read the end of this book in Revelation chapter 21, that there's coming a day when the future kingdom will arrive and everything that's wrong with creation will be made right. We read in Revelation 21 where John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as, prepared, as a bride prepared for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Now that's the future kingdom. And unless you haven't watched the news lately, that kingdom's not here yet. Okay? We have not yet beat our swords into plowshares, and we haven't yet seen the day when God wipes all tears away. But it's coming. Jesus talked about that kingdom coming. He talked about the, in parables and stories that he told about the parable of the, of the nobleman who entrusted the talents into the hands of his servant. He said, invest these talents well, and I'm coming back again, and I'm going to hold you accountable. And he did. And he does to us. The point is, there is a kingdom coming. There will be a day of reckoning. And when God looks at us and says, what did you do with what I entrusted you with? Then I hope we have a good answer. The coming kingdom. But there's also the already kingdom. The kingdom that's right here in our midst. In Luke chapter 17, we see the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking him when the kingdom of God is coming they were expecting a military-type Messiah to come and to restore the nation of Israel to its greatness like it was under King David to, to chase out all of their enemies and to set things right. And Jesus said, you know, if you're looking for that kind of kingdom, you're looking in the wrong place because this isn't the kind of kingdom that you can say, hey, here it is and there it is over there. This isn't a different kind of kingdom, Jesus said. And then he said these powerful words in Luke chapter 17. He said, in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. It's right there in your face. Here it is, right here and now. And the way this can be possible is because God's kingdom is not like an earthly kingdom that has a longitude and a latitude and borders and has a regime that rises and falls. His kingdom is within the hearts of his people. In John chapter 18, when Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate kept asking him if he was the king of the Jews, and he said, look, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my followers would be uh, trying to fight to keep me from being handed over. My kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. So God's kingdom, that already kingdom that's here among us, that's here within us, begins in the heart of God's people, but then it manifests itself as God's people make God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we better get ready. Because those are really empty words unless we are prepared to engage in kingdom work to make that reality. We pray this, but we've got to be willing to work this, or we're just flapping our gums. Reggie McNeil wrote a book I like a lot. It's called Kingdom Come, and it's about how that we are to be about kingdom focus instead of always church focus. You know, when I was doing the I Have a Dream, uh, I, I talked about being internally strong but being externally focused on the kingdom work. You see, the church is here to point to the kingdom of God, not the other way around. And so we don't pray, thy church come, we pray, thy kingdom come. And so here's the definition of the kingdom of God as, as Reggie McNeil has it in that book, Kingdom Come. And I like this definition. He defines the kingdom of God as life as God intended it to be, his original blueprint of all creation. Life as God intended it to be. So what does it mean to work for the kingdom? Well, it means any and all efforts that we expend to help enhance life as God intends it to be. Our efforts to enhance life and make it as God intended it for it to be. So what are we talking about here? What, what, what can we call kingdom work? Well, helping a child learn to read is kingdom work. Providing clean drinking water for a village so they have clean water to drink. To, to work to help eradicate disease. To create jobs. To ease suffering and pain. To deliver health care to people. To, to, I mean just to raise children that are responsible life enhancing adults. All of that's kingdom work. To seek peace and reconciliation. To protect the environment. To reduce poverty. To enhance beauty through music and art and drama and literature, all that is kingdom work. In addition to what we normally think is kingdom work, like introducing people to Jesus and making new disciples, all of that is kingdom work. Every time someone is invited into a community of faith that is a community that is there with them through the good and the bad times, all of that advances the kingdom of God. It all makes life look a little bit more like God intended it to look like. All the things that make life abundant. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I'm here that they might have life and have it more abundant. All of those are kingdom building things. And if we focus on building the kingdom, y'all, we're not just going to build great churches. We're going to build great communities and great people. It's going to be awesome. It's in our DNA, too, by the way. That's what John Wesley did. John Wesley was all about a heart that was warm. He was all about that experience with God, but he was also about social holiness. He, he, did you know that John Wesley established collectives, employment collectives? Uh, one, one he did was with a group of seamstresses so that they could get uh, a fair price for their work. Did you know that he, he started a loan program uh, so that people could get uh, capital for, for small business loans so they could improve their life? Did you know that, that he started some uh, free health clinics so people could get help? Um, did you know that, 
he helped to get housing for widows and orphans and schools for the poor and that he visited the people who were in prison. He was about all of this. He was even about helping people when he died. He wrote these words about when he died. He said, when I die, do not employ a hearse, have no parade. Instead, find six poor men who need employment, pay each of them one pound to bear my body to its resting place. What part can I play to help make life look a little bit more like what God intended in the first place? That's kingdom work. And you know the greatest thing about serving at this church, Andy, is we get to do kingdom work all the time, don't we? It's great. I love seeing kingdom work. I love going to, um, I love going to, oh, this is going to sound bad. I love going to meetings. Not all of them. But one night we had this last week when we had a board of stewards meeting, and, and you know, reports can be kind of boring, except that when they're kingdom reports, and we hear things like this. Did you know that in the month of January, we at this church serve 495 people at the label of love? 495 people. That's kingdom work, y'all. That's something to be excited about. Did you know that we just recently had an AB honor roll party at Strickland Elementary School, and they had 244 kids there on the AB honor roll that we had a party for that we celebrated, and we tried to show them, hey, it's cool to be smart. You know? It's cool to be smart. It's fun being smart. Did you know in January we served 294 people at our clothes closet? That's kingdom come work. Did you know that we had a meeting just this last week of the caring angels? Do you know what the caring angels are? It's a really cool group of people in this church that take care of our, our seniors who, who can't get out like they used to, and some of them are just homebound. We have 31 people on our caring angels list that we take care of. We give them phone calls and send cards and we give them gifts and we go by and visit them. In many, many beautiful ways, our church is working to try to make life look here on earth a little bit more like what God intended it to look like. To try to make God's will here on earth look like what God's will is in heaven where there aren't any hungry people, there aren't any lonely people, there aren't any cold people, there aren't any homeless people. So the question is, where will you join in? Where will you join in to help make this look a little bit more like what God intended? All of these ministries that I, I just mentioned are all looking for more help. Or maybe if none of that, if none of that just rings your chime, maybe you would like to start looking around you, looking around your world, and find something that doesn't look like heaven. Find something that doesn't really look like that abundant life that God intended. And then ask God how you can help make life on earth here look a little bit more like life in heaven where his will is done perfectly. It's not about us. It's not about our glory and us getting a pat on the back. It's not even about our will. 
it's all about God. It's all about saying those really, really difficult words to say and mean, thy will be done. Let's pray. Gracious God, we need a change of heart and we need a change of focus because it's very, very easy to have our minds set on our aches and our pains, our problems and our worries. It's very, very easy to become inwardly focused, even in our prayer life. What a big difference it would make, Lord, to be able to focus on you your will, your glory, and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is...